Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. That's my James Bond. Is that seriously the James Bond theme? That's the James Bond theme. Oh yeah, my gosh. you don't know the James Bond theme? You know, it's been it's been a while since I've watched a James Bond <laughs> film. So, to be fair, also you don't to sound like fair. the full orchestra. So it's not like it's changed much in the last <laughs> fifty years. It's pretty much been the same theme for yeah since uh, since they started. But you know what has changed is who owns what. Yes, and uh, James Bond now is uh, uh, soon at least uh, by, I don't know when the deal is actually closing, but it's very soon uh, will be owned by Jeff Bezos, which is funny because Jeff Bezos is like every villain in every James Bond movie. <laughs> oh no! You know he's a billionaire who's launching spaceships that look like penises into space. <laughs> you know. If that's not like, I mean, it's also kind of like, uh, you know, Austin Powers. I was going to say. Yeah, it sounds a little more like Austin Powers. But yeah, it's it's kind of like Blofeld uh, now is uh, James Bond's boss. Oh, my gosh. Blofeld is one of the main villains from James Bond. Oh, my word. Yes. Apparently, Amazon has purchased MGM, which I would say is one of the legacy studios. It's absolutely one of the oldest studios in Hollywood back in the back from a. well, James Bond uh, dates back to the 60s um, with all 27 films or whatever they've been now. OK, so break down this merger, because I've I saw the headline. I didn't really read the article fully. You're more versed on this than I am. So break it down for me and for our audience. Well, uh, 8.5 billion dollars is what Amazon is paying for MGM, which gets them the much coveted James Bond library of films. It also gives them uh, um, access to shows like the, some Emmy award winning shows like The Handmaid's Tale, Fargo, um, which actually are still on Hulu and will have to stay there until those contracts expire. But MGM also produces stuff like Survivor and The Voice, which is on Fox, which is owned by Disney. So it gets real confusing, I guess, at some point there. You know, Amazon has spent, you know, um, billions on content development. They spent about $13 billion on content development in 2021, whereas MGM only spent about 1.5 billion. Uh, it's it's just a it sounds like a big deal because it's such a you know historic studio being bought by a modern company, but it's really not as big a deal to Amazon. It, to them, it's like oh we're going to buy MGM and then we'll own this these different shows and stuff and be able to add that to Amazon Prime. But you know, okay, here's an interesting question. Well, I guess. I guess with Prime, you have better control over the numbers. But part of the reason to acquire content, old content, like James Bond, like, I -hmm. mean, I don't know if The Voice or Survivor really has rewatchability, but something like James Bond would. But back in the day, remember, you would play the the shows, the movies on rerun in syndicate. And that's how writers and actors would keep making money because it was playing in syndication. But we don't have that as much anymore because it's streaming. Now, obviously, with Prime Video, they can just see who's buying it through the catalog. But I mean, is that really going to do anything for them? 
that's a big question of what what is Amazon going to get out of this? Um, you know, it's a you know Amazon already had like Amazon Studios kind of, but I think for the most part Amazon has been using that money on content to buy films from other studios or other you know independent stuff. I mean, if you look at the content on Amazon, um, their originals are you know they're they're basically buying shows that other people are making. You know, Amazon isn't like Netflix that has, you know, Netflix actually has built studio space. You know, they have huge offices in, in L.A. And then I think wasn't in in Arizona or was it New Mexico? They were I think New Mexico. Netflix actually built studio space so they can produce things actually themselves. So it's a little bit different. MGM doesn't have studio space unless they're using the old Sony lot or not the old Sony lot, their old lot, which is now Sony Pictures uh, down in Culver City. Uh, so, uh, that's, you know, I guess a possibility as far as, you know, access to, you know, resources within the industry, you know, Amazon still to this day, you know, is primarily an e-commerce, you know, online shopping store. You know, they, I'd I'd have to look at the numbers to see what percentage of their revenue comes from Amazon prime, but since they lump it into their services for shopping and shipping things for free, it's hard to determine, you know, how much of of uh, of that business is theirs? But but you know their prime model is interesting because you pay for the subscription, but then you still have to pay for certain movies and films, or I'm sorry, for certain TV shows and films. Right, they've got that whole um, paywall kind of thing between. We've talked about that many times before. How annoying it is how they lump it all together, but you have to look at the little tags to see what's included for free. Mm-hmm. Amazon uh, is still like, and, and literally that's like a shopping center. You know, yeah. you go there to shop for video, but there's some stuff for free. I think that's the big differentiator between Netflix and, and Hulu and MGM or uh, and Amazon is Netflix and Hulu are pretty much all you can eat. Some, you know, Hulu has some commercial level subscriptions where you have some commercials and those commercials and people keep, you know, teasing that Netflix might add commercials, but they keep hemming and hawing whether they're going to do that or not. Now, Amazon actually has a really interesting history when it comes to content. Do you remember like years ago, I remember when I first moved to Hollywood, there's that big thing about submit your scripts to us. We'll see if we can produce them. Do you remember this? They had a studio. It was, it was Amazon, Amazon direct and Amazon studios. In fact, that's how we got our, our shorts on Amazon prime is they were accepting things from independent filmmakers through through those websites and those those systems they had set Even up. Even before that though, they were they had a screenwriting program. Do, don't you remember this? Mm-hmm. I remember talking yeah, about it. I, you could I submitted to mm-hmm, it. Yeah. Yep. So I mean I don't remember how long it went. I don't know if anybody ever got anything actually, you know, picked up by them. It was like maybe yeah. around for what, maybe three to five years. But they tried in the beginning to be like what Netflix is today with a lot of original content somewhere along the way, it just didn't really work out for them. And and they ended up doing what they're doing now, you know? Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I mean, yeah, I totally see what you're saying. It's they, um, they tried to basically become to do the entertainment business, the Amazon way. And I don't think it worked, you know, Amazon crowdsourced and, you know, and, you know, kind of almost like Google or YouTube, trying to crowdsource the uh, content. Uh, in fact, Sony kind of did the same thing with the PlayStation Network. I was in that one competition mm. for their emerging filmmaker thing, and that didn't pan out pretty very well either. 
I think it's these, you know, technology company trying to be an entertainment company kind of thing. Which Amazon really is a technology company because their technology is the store, the online system to handle all that stuff. The shipping stuff around the world is, you know, their second business. The fact that they did this, I, I, you know, some would say it's trying to, you know, buy their way into the, you know, legacy, uh, you know, entertainment business. And there might be something to that, you know. But we have, we have yet to see what they're going to do with it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're necessarily going to make another yeah. James Bond movie or something. And then there's so many players involved in one movie anyway, and studios sharing space that it kind of, it, a lot of it is more brand recognition, I feel. Like for them to say, hey, we own these IPs, that's, like, oh, I yeah. wouldn't even have known that, you know, Survivor and The Voice were MGM until you told mm-hmm. me. I was like, oh, you know, I assumed, like, for example, The Voice was Fox because it's on Fox. But then again, it's not like MGM has its own channel or app or something like everybody else. Exactly. M- MGM is a, you know, a, a powerhouse of production and, and, you know, and a lot of their, uh, their, their sub brands and what have you, you know, over the years have done tons of stuff. I mean, they go back, you know, obviously they go back a ton, you know, long way back, but they, they've produced things for a long time, a lot of stuff for television. In fact, uh, some of my favorite shows on, uh, in syndication were done by MGM TV, you know, like Stargate was an MGM show. Some of that sci-fi stuff I like, uh, you know, and that's, that's another franchise that's coming back. They're rebooting um, that franchise for film. And there's rumors of a TV show for that as well. Uh, MGM also did some twilight zone stuff. I think, Oh no, they did the outer limits. They had a really cool outer limits anthology series for a while. Huh. So what do you think this means for writers? Well, I mean, I don't think it, it's going to change much. I mean, everyone talks about the consolidation in the industry. You know, there were the six big studios. MGM was not one of them. MGM is a smaller studio, actually. So, the, you know, consolidation, people always say that's bad because then you, you wind up having this corporate movie production methodology kind of thing, you know, where, you know, that's why we keep getting the same kinds of movies over and over again. We have franchises you don't see original ideas coming out of the big studios, really. It's always either something that was a book, something that was a movie before, and it's being remade and rebooted, uh, or, you know, something that um, from TV that's going to film or vice versa. You know, those kinds of things, they only do things that are, quote unquote, safe bets. It's probably not going to change much. You know, people do worry about consolidation, but... I don't, you know, here's the thing. Amazon, by buying MGM, basically, I don't want to say becomes a better, a, a more, you know, it becomes another studio. So you take one of the classic studios, it's bought by a newer studio. Well, Amazon wasn't a studio before. So it now creates a new studio that takes the place of the previous one. So the consolidation is kind of one-to-one there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're buying it more for the the brand name than anything i don't know that amazon well mgm doesn't even have physical space so i don't know that amazon's like cool now we're fox studios and we have a physical space to film things exactly you know that doesn't change but i would disagree with you on your point i think it does change two things first of all whenever you have mergers whoever your contacts are might change so it's quite possible that if you had a contact that you were pitching to at mgm they're gone 
just like any mm-hmm. other merger. So there's that to, to sure. keep in, you know, and, and whenever there's a merger, people go all over the place and you got to keep track of. So it's quite possible your contacts change. But the other thing, and maybe not with Amazon so much, because a lot of these most I would say like 90 percent of the studios are experimental, but some of them, Disney primarily, you have to be careful what you pitch to them because everything's going under that umbrella and they have a certain image to, you know, portray. Mm -hmm. So I would say pretty much anything you pitch to Disney has to fall in line with a certain thing, even if it's under the Marvel or the Pixar or the whatever, you know, the other brand, maybe Mm -hmm. under the Fox brand, you can push the envelope a little bit, but anything else you really, I would think you have to kind of run it through that filter, but that's just my thought. Yeah. I mean, Amazon doesn't have that, you know, kind of family friendly, you know, you know, persona to live up to. So it's kind of, in fact, I think if anything, MGM would give Amazon more credibility um, with its huge back catalog, you know, besides James Bond, they Mm -hmm. have thousands of films, um, you know, for people who like classic movies. In fact, if you look at, you know, I always went to Amazon and there's, there's, you know, there's a, a, a batch of really good shows and originals that they've done. But then there's also a ton, ton of mediocre stuff that they they did just to add to their catalog to have more stuff to watch. Because, you know, that was the thing when they started, they didn't have anything. So they needed to build a catalog quickly. So they really added a lot to it. So maybe perhaps this is a signal that they're trying to look more for quality. You know, like like if I don't know what what the situation with The Handmaid's Tale or Fargo is, but those are Emmy winning shows that are on Hulu that, you know, if they continue to work, run with them, they could bring them onto Amazon Prime, you know, if after they finish their runs on Hulu. But Amazon already has a pretty good catalog. I'm thinking particularly, uh, what's that one? Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That one did mm-hmm. really well. They had a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they've done great. Man in the High Castle, that was theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of some other ones off the top of my head. I don't know if I can count the new Lord of the Rings. I, that one's gotten mixed reviews. Well, it hasn't even come out yet. So well, the <laughs> we reviews of it are like, well, okay, really side tangent. They'd been talking about that one forever that I thought it had already come out because that one has been in the works for years. Oh, and they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on and it. And then too. it finally comes out or it's close to coming out and the reviews on it are really bad. So uh. I don't know. I'm just like, oh. And then part of me is like, didn't that already happen? So that's why I sometimes feel you shouldn't, uh, what's the word? You shouldn't advertise your stuff too early because <laughs> then people yeah. are like, oh, it already happened. Whatever. No, exactly. And and the thing about the, you know, talk about the award winning stuff like uh, Mar- Marvelous Miss Maisel. It got like 20 Emmy nominations. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, that's almost half of all the nominations that Amazon got. So, you know, they're getting a lot of nominations, but it's on a few shows. So I still think they have a quality issue, and the and the you know if you look at the percentage of their catalog, it's like, you know, it's hit or it's, miss. It's, a, it's, it's hit or miss, hit or miss yeah. exactly. Although they won the award uh, for, oh, what's that one? That movie with Casey Affleck a couple years ago, uh, set in like Maryland or whatever. I'm blanking. Oh, you know what I'm talking gosh. about? Drama. Man- was it Man- Manchester by, by the, the Sea? sea or... Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was funny because I could appreciate it. I thought it was a good movie. It's not one I'd want to watch again. My husband loved it. I was oh, like, yeah. I can see why it won the awards, but it wasn't something that I was like, woohoo, you know? 
<laughs> um, did not see it. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's it's worth a watch. You know, it's worth a yeah. watch. Good story, but um, anyway, but yeah, they that was I think Amazon's first award. I want to oh. say that was the first award for their studio ever, and then That'd you know cool. from there, and that was a couple years ago. But anyway. So, I mean, like, they are hit or miss, but, like, when they hit, they hit well. Yeah. No, and they've got potential. I mean, and maybe bringing on the expertise of MGM Studios will help them, you know, further, uh, you know, develop, you know, higher caliber shows. I mean, it's it seems like that's the battleground, mm-hmm. you know. Because we don't have ratings, per se, for, like, Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon Prime, awards are really the battleground for those guys you know and netflix and and hulu have been just just decimating the broadcast networks and the nominations these you know these last five ten years can i digress real quick though speaking of awards and ratings the streamers did it to themselves because for whatever the way they've designed it you can't you know, you can't find the ratings or you can't find the numbers of who's watching. And remember, it's caused an issue already for, for actors and, and writers and stuff because we need to know our royalty numbers. But people are sick of awards. People like how many times have we heard now? People don't care about awards anymore. So it's like you're doing it to yourself and you're kind of eroding the very thing that would tell you the statistics you need. Because I mean, they have the statistics. They just don't, they don't want to share them very them. often. Because awards are basically people in the industry giving awards to other people in the industry. And that's why people are getting sick of it. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen, you know, news reports or, or commentary pieces on we're sick of awards, guys. Nobody cares anymore. So I remember back in the day, you know, Oscars and Emmys and all that were huge to watch on TV. And even mm-hmm. people like me who weren't in the industry at that point, we cared about it. Now people don't seem to care as much. So if you took away awards, the only thing left for statistics is those numbers that they're not disclosing, but they're going right. to have to because there's no other way to have a, a true barometer. Exactly. And and it, it factors into how much you should get paid because uh, with ratings on streaming services, the only way to know, like, I don't, I, I don't know if you, I don't know how they do it. We should probably get somebody on to, who knows more about this to explain it, but you know, if your movie or show is is uh, award winning, or if it's getting, you know, millions and millions of views on a streaming platform, do you think that makes it? You should get paid more for the work you did on that show, because that means that more people are going to that platform to watch that show, which means that platform is getting more revenue. It's hard to do a one to one because it's not like how many ads are viewed during your show, unless you're like a Hulu where you do have some advertising, you know, people watching on ad supported platforms. Mm-hmm. But like on Netflix, you know, you get paid what you get paid in your contract. And I don't know if they're, they have any sort of bonuses for, you know, movies or shows that get high ratings or high view counts. So that'd be something interesting to find out. I mean, but when you, when you think about that too, I mean, I guess to kind of go down the rabbit hole. How much of that is because people were already paying into that streaming service? For example, if I'm, I mean, I'm cheap, so I don't want to buy 20 apps. So let's say I have uh, Netflix and, I don't know, uh, CBS. So something very targeted and then Netflix, which is a little more general. I'm not going to necessarily search out the Amazon show, even if you tell me it's great. Maybe I'll see if it's on DVD because I already am paying into two services. So if I'm watching those two services, then, of course, I'm going to watch 
whatever you put in front of me because I'm already paying into that. So how can Mm -hmm. you say, oh, you know, this show or this film is spectacular? Maybe it was just because people were already buying into that platform. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's a hard way to gauge because there's no, at least with, with movies or with broadcast TV, it's free. So you can choose whatever you want. And then they had truer readings of the numbers. Right. For writers, what you're saying, you know, is those numbers are all we ever had to bank on as far as what we were going to get as royalties for our work. So if people are already being driven to certain platforms based on other factors like free shipping on Amazon Prime, you know, it's up to the it's up to the platforms to make sure there's enough viewers to watch our shows and films. Like we're, we're counting on Netflix to drive more viewers to our shows. And then that gets into the whole algorithm of what they show you when you log in, you know, and it says mm-hmm. suggested for you. You know, it's all based on what you watched before. And I've talked about how that gets you into a rut because it doesn't just says it doesn't say try something new. It never says, hey, try something you've never watched before. It always says try something you've watched. So how do you, you know, how. Let me back up. This comes back to the whole problem is we used to have three or four TV networks and that's all we had. Yeah. And when you had that few of shows and that few of networks, you know, everybody tuned in and watched it. And that's why the awards matter. But now, like what you were saying is the, such a diverse, you know, a dispersed um, viewing audience that even if one show wins an Emmy Award for best drama or best comedy, a lot of people are be like, like you said, they're, they're either not going to have the service it's on or they're not going to care because they're watching something different because they never got around to seeing it because there's too many things to watch. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason award shows are diluted um, and their ratings have dropped. It's because fewer people are watching the award-winning shows because there's so many other places to be spending your time entertainment-wise. And money. That's the big and thing. And money. Because are you, is the average consumer really going to buy 20 apps just to watch one award-winning thing on each app? No, they're not. Exactly. Right. And... And whereas used to be a situation where the broadcast networks produced everything and then syndicated it out to the other networks, you know, other, you know, affiliates and things, you know, then they could get secondary revenue on it. That doesn't happen now. Everybody keeps everything in their little fiefdoms or walled off fiefdoms. So going back to Amazon, they're trying to expand their fiefdom to content they know people watch. And the James Bond collection of films is, you know, a huge uh, draw, you know, you know, it's going to keep eyeballs on their platform is what it's going to do because the fans of those movies are going to go there. Um, remember, people used to buy all these movies and have collections, mm-hmm. you know, you know like yeah. you have all the Star Wars movies or you have all the, you know, the James Bond movies. But now because they're all on streaming, usually you're like, well, I can just watch it on streaming. But when they change platforms like this, like the licensing deal for James Bond, which I'm not even sure where it is now. You lose it on a certain platform. You're, it's yeah. going to lo- whatever platform it's on, it's going to leave and go to MGM. MGM's going to go to Amazon. So they might draw the people who, you know, some people are like that. They're like, I don't care what's on TV. I want to watch a James Bond movie every night of the week, you know, and they'll go through all 27 of them and then start over. So there's a, I don't know, not millions, but there's an audience out there that, that will be like, sure, oh, that's where, you know, if you want to watch James Bond, you have to go to Amazon. Okay, now I'm going to subscribe to Amazon Prime. And I'm not going to, I'm going to discontinue my, you know, Hulu subscription or whatever it is, wherever it is now. That's a, I think it's still a small percentage of, of people that are going to do that. It's not going to boost Amazon's numbers tremendously, but 
I think if you look at their full catalog, I think it'll be, you know, you know, it's going to draw some people, especially when you get into the classics. Um, I think the there's a, a lot of people out there who'd like to watch the classic movies. Yeah, I mean, it's getting back into the issue of should we be going back to the old stuff or developing new IP? But and that's a debate we've had before and we already know kind of the answer to that. But you know what's interesting going back in the conversation regarding royalties and streaming and not having the numbers disclosed. It kind of makes me wonder because of how things So you sent a very interesting article we can put in the show notes about how eight companies own all your favorite channels. And Mm -hmm. it's not a monopoly necessarily, but it does make me wonder if one of two things might end up happening to writers in the future, which is either one, because writers are still independent contractors, right? You can write for any network you want. You can sell and pitch to anyone you want contracts, you know, with each company. So in order to get your visibility, Writers probably have to kind of do what actors are doing, get big on social, toot your own horn, you know, plug yourself, put yourself out there, right, uh, to get the visibility so your numbers will go up and people will watch your movies and your shows Mm -hmm. that you write. Or we might go back to the old studio system, which is where studios own certain writers and own certain actors, and they might loan them out to different companies, but you were contracted to work for a certain studio. I don't right. know, because we're kind of getting to that point. It feels like there's right. so few places. Well, you have, you have, um, you know, big actors making deals with, you know, companies like Netflix, like Adam Sandler, you know, did an exclusive deal. He was making movies for Netflix. So that's why you haven't seen him in the theaters at all in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, some of that is happening actually. Which might not hmm. be bad for fledgling writers, because if they're willing to develop you, that's cool. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think Hollywood or the entertainment industry, especially not after the pandemic, is in a place where they would want to develop talent. Whereas back in the beginning of Hollywood, they would. They would develop talent. But I don't think. I mean, you see it in music. You see it everywhere. Yeah. They don't want to develop talent. They want to know you can do it. I think Hollywood still, you know, um values established writers you know again it's it's like anything in hollywood it's they want to go with something a known quantity mm-hmm. uh they don't want to take a chance so that's why you know you see people get overall deals at certain studios still you know producers and writers that they can you know they're, they're gonna next five movies are going to be with a certain studio first look deals and that kind of thing so that's still that does happen and i don't but i don't think yeah i don't think it's going to be happening on the with the developing. And I think, I think that happened with Amazon, like we talked about how they did start by looking for, you know, writers of all kinds and, and kind of opening it up to everybody. In fact, I think that thing was free to submit too. You, you can, anybody could submit something. But they probably uh, going to be more developed. Talent. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean, developing talent takes time, energy. And I mean, I'm not, you know, I wasn't obviously in their, uh, deciding room or whatever you'd call it but i'm sure they waited through a lot of junk you know no, absolutely and that's the option you have the option to you open it up to everybody and everyone submits all their stuff and you have to wade through it you know and find the find the diamonds in the rough or find the the needle in the haystack versus um doing what you know other you know established studios do and that they have layers and layers of gatekeepers that filtered the stuff out, you know, that you don't accept everything. You have, everything has to come from an agent or has to be 
you know, recommended, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's going to entrench Amazon even further into the Hollywood, you know, um, you know, histor- historical, uh, you know, industry, you know, kind of, they're not going to be so much the new player on the town on, on new, the new, the new kid on the block anymore, I should say. <laughs> they're going to be, you know, kind of um, hopefully, you know, and hopefully that'll make for, you know, better productions and, and more, uh, more interesting stuff there. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I'll put a link to their, their catalog of, you know, they, the st- there's actually a lot of stuff in their catalog that they could do a lot of this rebooting. You know, we talk about no new ideas, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, I mean, things like the pink Panther, like I said, the outer limits, uh, stuff like, um, uh, Oh, dead like me. That was a great show. I love that show. You know, they had a lot of stuff on sci-fi. They had stuff on FX, they have ABC. So it's going to be interesting to see how a lot of these old series and shows and movies, start to migrate to Amazon prime from these other uh, platforms and networks. Cause MGM didn't have a, a single like exclusive. They were all over the place. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let us what do you guys think is going to happen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you going to, is this going to make you want to watch uh, Amazon prime more or, or, or less? <laughs> let us know at WG therapy on Twitter. Find us on Instagram under the same handle and we will see you guys soon. 